Women are everywhere in the story of Holy Week. For some reason, most of them have the name of Mary, and they're always present. And they have a lot of feelings, there's a lot of emotions, but they get stuff done. And salvation history wouldn't be the same without them. I'm Chloe Langer, and this is The Catholic Podcast. I'm joined here today by Sarah Burns. I met her during my time in Topeka, at my time at Christ the King Parish, um, back when I was there during college, and she is discerning religious life with the Apostles of the Interior Life, who's an order that I've gotten to know a little bit up here in the Kansas City area, so excited to have you on the show, Sarah. Welcome, and thanks for your time tonight. Thank you. It's a joy to be on here with you. So we decided to, since the topic for one of our last Lenten series, um, this series that we've been looking through the Lent through the different eyes of of the characters of the Passion, and we decided to let the ladies have a go at this episode. So we're going to be discussing the holy women of Holy Week, and who better to discuss holy women uh, than women ourselves who are striving for holiness. So excited to dig into this episode with you and want to kind of wrap up this Lenten series. So I think it's going to be really beautiful and good. So there's three main takeaways that we'd like listeners to take away from today's episode. So first, while many of the disciples run away during Christ's journey to the cross, we find the holy women of Holy Week standing fast and courageous in the face of suffering. We'll be looking at how the Catholic Church sees these women and respects their presence in Christ's life. Often there is a false belief that the Catholic Church hates women, but this isn't true. And we see this in the lives of the women of Holy Week. Secondly, Christ will meet many women on the way to Calvary, and they'll be mourning for his love and offering assistance while he carries the cross. Their examples are relevant in our lives today, and they'll show us how we can truly console the heart of our Lord. And lastly, the story of Mary Magdalene is a story of just redemption, and Christ frees her from seven demons, and she goes on to become the first witness of the resurrection. For us today, this means that Mary can teach us what evangelization looks like after an encounter with the risen Lord. Beautiful. So let's just dive right in. Sounds great. Part one, the Catholic Church, strong women for over 2,000 years. The role of women of Holy Week doesn't look like the role of the apostles during Holy Week. And far too often, there's an assumption that because the Catholic Church holds to an all-male clergy, that the Catholic Church dismisses women. But women are not called to mimic the male priesthood because equality doesn't mean interchangeability. What is the role that Christ offers the women during Holy Week and beyond, And why does that role go far beyond where society and culture offers women? I think one of the things that I really um, focus on as I think about this question is kind of just the different tenets of the the feminine genius, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And just how through living out like receptivity, generosity, maternity, and sensitivity, the different women along the way of the cross are showing love to our Lord. the Vatican II message to women, they mm-hmm. talk about how women in trial who stand upright at the foot of the cross like Mary, you who so often in history have given to men the strength to battle into the very end and to give witness to the point of martyrdom, aid them now still once more to retain courage in their great undertakings, while at the same time maintaining, maintaining patience and esteem for humble beginnings. And I think that all of the women show this in a really beautiful way. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love how too with the feminine genius. This is something that I've explored too a lot in my own writing. Has been like it's not. It looks different for each woman. Like it looks different for the women along the the walk to the cross, and each one will live out the feminine genius in their own unique way. And that's so beautiful. And like the the difference that they bring, that that complementarity that they bring into the the walk to the passion is beautiful. Yeah, they're not afraid to stay with our Lord. Just even if they don't speak in these moments, they are there through their presence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that they don't run away. And I love that they aren't afraid of the pain and the terror of this moment. And they don't shy away when all hope seems lost. Right, right. And I think that we, we've explored this in previous episodes of the Catholic podcast where we've seen the people who, the men who Christ has drawn close to him as the apostles have been the ones who haven't had courage or have, you know, have been able, not been able to make it to the cross, especially, you know, looking at the life of Peter, I mean, looking significantly like at the life of Judas and the role that he plays in the passion and how beautiful it is that here are these women and their role is different. Like they haven't been called as um, to the priesthood and, but that doesn't mean that they aren't worthy or to walk that way, which is a, yeah, which is really good. Absolutely. Um, I think it's really important to know too that like the counterculturalness of like these women. Um, I think we too often, you know, when we talk about especially the female priesthood or why women are ordained in the Catholic Church, that there is an assumption that like, well, Christ couldn't have done that because women weren't seen as um, as, as whole humans during during the time of that he walked on earth. And if he, that's why he didn't choose women to be priests. But I think it's important to note that like Christ wasn't afraid of like breaking social barriers. Um, when it came to to women and when it came to interacting with people, um, reading from this is a, a letter from John Paul II that he wrote in 1988, you know, if calling only men as apostles, Christ acted in complete free and sovereign manner. And in doing so, he exercised the same freedom with which in all his behavior, he emphasized the dignity and vocation of women without conforming to the prevailing customs and to the traditions sanctioned by the legislation of the time. So consequently, the assumption that he called men to be apostles in order to conform with the widespread mentality of his time doesn't at all correspond with the way that Christ acts. So I think that the way that we see women take a really beautiful and important role in in the passion is something that's absolutely beautiful and calls to to mind like the quality that Christ does call us with. Like it's not that we all have the same role, but it's that we have different roles and they're equally important. So the holy women of Holy Week experience and they express a lot of emotions. They've encountered a man who sees their human dignity and their worth in a culture that has often dismissed them. And now we see them walking with him as he goes to Calvary to die for them. How does Christ interact with the women of Holy Week? And what does this have to say for us, especially those of us who are women, about our emotions and what role those play in the spiritual life? I think this is such an interesting question because uh, I think the two examples that are kind of um, most obvious are like, uh, when he he tells his mother, like, here's, behold your son. So mm-hmm. he obviously is talking somewhat about himself, but also about the Apostle John. So I love that he's showing, firstly, it's kind of like that idea of spiritual motherhood. Like, mm-hmm. Mary, you still have children on earth. Like, mm-hmm. you still have a mission. Um, so he's he's just continuing that on, you know? Like, this isn't the end of the world. Like, don't get lost in the emotion of the moment, you know? Right, right. I think it's the, even when you see the women uh, that he meets along the way, the daughters of Jerusalem, like that he refers to as, it's mm-hmm. like he's not saying, you know, please stop crying. Like, we do not need your emotions right now. This is really serious. He's like acknowledging the fact that this is tough for them, but also like calling them to like channel their emotions and like use that as a, a driving force and an energy to then like, like you said, like this doesn't end now. This isn't it. Um, Calvary isn't the end. Like, 
look to your own lives, look to the lives of your children. What does this mean for what your spiritual life should look like after the the death and resurrection of the Lord? Absolutely. He takes that vulnerability and just redirects it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then too, like the church doesn't stop with the holy women of Holy Week when it comes to like honoring, honoring and venerating their story. So in addition to the women that we'll walk through with Holy Week that we'll dig into in different parts of the podcast, like where else can we see that the church values the role that women play in the world today, like in our own time? Oh, gosh. Um, Some easy examples, uh, the doctors of the church, right? Mm -hmm. You have St. Catherine of Siena, who, I mean, talk about a powerful woman. I mean, she like walked right up to the Pope and made things happen in a big way. (laughs) (laughs) St. Teresa of Avila and her reform um, and her role as a reformer of the church in the 16th century and St. Therese of Lisieux. I mean, everyone knows St. Therese of Lisieux and just her impact on kind of 21st century theology is just huge. Mm-hmm. And then even in the secular world, who doesn't know who Mother Teresa is? You right. Know? That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So I, I feel like there are just woman after woman after woman who is just very, very highly esteemed by the church. Um, and then the fact that even the church itself is seen mm-hmm. as a woman, you know, mm-hmm. like, I think that's really significant. Like all of the men, but even the Pope, like the most powerful man in the church is servicing mm-hmm. the church, which is always spoken to as the feminine. Yeah. Yeah. How we refer to as like mother church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I think it's easy to get caught up in, in the news of today that says, you know, oh, the church hates women. The church doesn't see women. The church you know, needs to get with the times. And oh, gosh, dang it. Like the church has been honoring the dignity of women since the very beginning. And I think we'll see that with the holy women of Holy Week, but we see that today, even in our own time. So yeah, so many good examples. Yeah. And I mean, even just like the development of Marian theology mm-hmm. and just like a, a saint like St. Maximilian Kobe and what he's brought to like even a greater understanding of Mary's role in the church and um, how she can be like an avenue to like the Holy spirit and Mm -hmm. just the prominence of our lady in the church, I think is really significant too. Mm -hmm. For sure. Part two on the Via Della Rosa. Christ meets a group of women along the way to Calvary. And he says to them, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never gave suck. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? And so here we see Christ encouraging the women to examine the weight of sin and how we're called to action after our repentance. And we're not just called to walk by Christ's side and offer him compassionate words. But instead, we're called to conversion and to a new life. So what can we learn from these women who encounter Jesus on the road? I mean, I have to say, if Jesus said that to me, I would want to shrivel up and die. That is so depressing. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> but I was kind of sitting with this question because I was thinking, I mean, what what do you learn from this moment? I mean, it's just, it's so harsh. But um, what I kind of came up with was, just the idea of redemptive suffering. So mm. I feel like Christ is really like very precisely showing us like to offer even pain and grief and heartbreak up for sinners. So just like right there on the way of the cross, like unite this to Calvary, but don't, not for me, but for the people who actually need it, you know? Right, right. Yeah. I think that's something so beautiful the, about the hope that 
Catholicism brings is that our suffering isn't for waste, that it has a redemptive value and that you can unite it to the suffering on the cross, which is just such a, I mean, I, for moments of suffering that I've been through, that's been such a, a glimmer of hope in, in like those moments of desolation where it's like, this isn't a waste. This isn't a wasted time in my spiritual interior life or for my, for my striving towards Christ. This is a moment where I can even grow even closer to him sometimes than I have been able to when it's good or when I haven't been in those moments of desolation. Yeah. I think it's really important to remember that desolation, even like spiritual desolation, it always has a purpose. And um, I was actually in the meditation I did this morning, one of the things uh, it said that I just loved was like, love grows stronger um, in the trial, Mm -hmm. in the hardship. Mm -hmm. And just if you can remember that, like in that moment, I think that's so encouraging, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think too, like if we ever question that, like you pointed out, like looking to the cross, like here we have a moment in, in history where like love and suffering are so intertwined together that we can't separate them. Like what's Christ walk to the cross if it's not about suffering? Like if it was easy for him, it wouldn't have been a sacrifice. And if there was no love in it, it would have just been going through the motions because I have to get this done because I have to redeem self, you know, redeem souls. Like, no, like it's so intertwined that we can't separate them. And that when we're wondering like, is it worth it? What am I called to? Like, we're called to a crucifixion type love. Like, we're called to a love that has both the joy and the suffering with it. So on the road to cross, the road to the cross, tradition says that Christ encounters Veronica, who wipes his face with her veil. And even her name, I love this, even her name bears witness to the role she plays. So Vera is Latin for truth. And in Greek, icon means image. So Veronica isn't afraid of the gruesome death that Christ endures. In fact, she embodies the desire of all believers to see the face of God, especially in times of hardship. So what lessons does Veronica teach us about consoling the heart of Jesus? And that we, what can we learn from her as, as her role as a woman? So I love that she doesn't shy away from serving like, like his body, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, just getting right in, I mean, literally right in his face. Like, she's in Jesus' face. Like, uh, yeah, that's a bold move. But, you know, just showing him that tenderness in a, a moment of, like, you know, that would just be so so difficult, even if it was not the redeemer of mankind, to go up to a man who's suffering that intensely and wipe his face. But just to see, like, her walking into that um, vulnerability with our Lord and mm-hmm. offering herself in that way, like look at the way that he rewarded her. Um, yeah. He gave her like that image, that icon of himself. And I think that's just really encouraging to remember, like when you go into those hard places, God is always going to match your generosity and surpass it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you and I were first getting to know each other, you led a Bible study on Father Michael Gately's Consoling the Heart of Jesus, um, yes. which is so such a good, if you have not read it and <laughs> you're listening, it. oh my gosh, it's so, so good to dig into. And I remember <clears throat> going through that Bible study with you and learning that like we're called to console Christ's heart. And I remember sitting on that couch um, in the house and thinking, this is not fair. Like <laughs> this, I thought Jesus and my relationship with him was, was a relationship where I could go and talk to him and like, you know, let him have all of my hurts and my sorrows and my, my joys. And then I could leave without giving anything in return. And which is almost like a selfish view. Like now that I think back on it, but we're called instead to like an interaction with him and a vulnerability and to like console his heart too. And so there's so much, much goodness to pull out from father Michael Gailey's work on consoling the heart of Jesus. 
Oh, absolutely. And it, I mean, I think it gives you that space to have more of a spousal relationship with Christ, because mm. if you're always just receiving from him, that's going to really help you grow in your identity as daughter, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you receive all the things from the Father. But if you want that spousal relationship with Jesus, like you have to open your heart to him the way you would to, you know, a man. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it's it's really beautiful. It's, it's different. And it's kind of strange to get your feet under you as you learn to pray that way but it makes adoration I think a lot more fruitful mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's a really good comparison too like I'm like I'm married and I've been married for about a year and just like what would my relationship with Joseph like my husband look like if I didn't ever ask him like oh how did your day go and I was constantly like oh you know here <laughs> let me dump everything that I've learned today and everything that I've gone through and then okay that's great and then ne- next thing like let's move on to the next conversation so yeah I think like especially in maturing especially during Lent oh my gosh like such a great time to just dig into a relationship with Christ and and unite our suffering to his on the cross like what a great time to dig into spousal love with Jesus and yeah Veronica is such a good model of this for us part three the first witness to the resurrection so we've met Mary Magdalene in the gospels way before the week of Christ's passion can you tell us a little bit about where we've encountered Mary in scripture and a little bit about her story as a woman Absolutely. So it's interesting because if you are just going off of the scriptures, the only known mm. instance before Holy Week is that Jesus delivered her from the seven demons, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of in the Middle Ages, we kind of started to, or by the Middle Ages, we've kind of had this composited like image of Mary Magdalene. And we've kind of like, some people think that she was also the woman who anointed our Lord's feet. Mm-hmm. Um or also the woman caught in adultery. She might have been Mary of Bethel, like kind of all of these different characters. And we don't really know for sure if that was her or not. Um, But we do know she was delivered from seven demons, and that's pretty significant. (laughs) It's a big event in her life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So a huge conversion, regardless of whether she um, lived these other roles or not. Mm-hmm. That's a really good, yeah, a good point. I think it's easy to be like, well, we don't really know what her role is. So, and almost to dismiss her because there's so much like, oh, we don't really know her. We don't have anything that we for sure know about her. But yeah, seven demons is a big, is a big burden to take to Christ. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and not insignificant at all. Um, Christ redeems Mary's entire life. And right, like you said, like Luke 8 two, she's been delivered from seven demons. Um, what can we learn from Christ's redemption of Mary's life? What does that mean for us today? What does that mean? What does that meant for you and for your story as well? So Mary Magdalene's very special to me. Um, I I just love her, like the little bit of story that we get, that little bit of glimpse, I think is just so beautiful because it just shows hope, like mm-hmm. in such an incredible way. I mean, Seven demons, whatever was going on in her life wasn't good. I mean, I think it's kind of interesting to like that it was the number seven because that typically is the number of covenant. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like how deep was she really in with point. the devil to be like possessed in that way? Mm-hmm. Um, so just the radical transformation that had in her life. And she just obviously like dropped everything and was following him. I mean, for her to have the type of strength and courage and faith to follow him all the way to Calvary Mm -hmm. and then to continue on to be um, one of the first witnesses of the resurrection. Like 
that was that's a very deep um, tremendous love and faith in her heart mm-hmm. um and he allowed her to be there and i think too like the fact that she was at the foot of the cross with mary like if for women who struggle with shame i think especially mm-hmm. um, i think that it can be really hard to get close to our lady because she's so pure you know yeah and we think she's so good like why would she ever want anything to do with me like jesus mm-hmm. jesus died for me like i can get close <laughs> to jesus but mary uh, she can be like uh, don't get too close to my son you know what i mean yep yep but she stood right there with Our Lady, like right next to Our Lady. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's just such a beautiful example, too, of the compassion and love and mercy of Our Lady's heart. Um, so, yeah, I just I just think it's just beautifully hopeful and just tells you to not be afraid of getting close to either of them. Yes, I love it. I love, too, how, like, Mary Magdalene is just a stellar example. And I think in some part, like, all the women that we've kind of talked about so far have been this way, too, but especially for the story of Mary Magdalene. Like... Here she's, you know, she has the burden of seven demons and that's a lot. And how often have we had our own, not necessarily demonic possession, but like our burdens that we've carried that are shame filled and the culture tells us to like, yeah, you need to hide those. Like you need to not talk about those. Don't bring those to the open. Like, can you just tell us you're fine when we ask us how you're doing? We really don't want to know. And there's these burdens that I think for like for women that we carry around and for all gosh that's like a you know non-gender specific problem like we all carry burdens as human beings but like it's these women who are bringing their most shame-filled things to the Lord and they're like putting them out in the open and they're asking for like complete healing and how much can we learn from that where like Christ wants our entirety like he wants us at our worst and best and he wants us at our most like suffering and our heaviest burdens because he wants all of us and not just like this picture perfect us that we've given society yeah I mean God would rather that you're yelling at him in complete honesty and transparency and vulnerability than you know having perfect piety in a chapel you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like he really does want you to bring all of yourself to the light so that he can heal you Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and so that you can be free and live a full life, you know? Yes. Amen to that. So not only is Mary just this incredible model of courage and like you said, loyalty as a follower of Christ, but she also teaches us that an intimate relationship with Christ isn't something to be kept private. So instead, Mary, who is a woman, is given the mission to spread the first news of the resurrection. So what does Mary's encounter with the risen Lord teach us about evangelization? Oh my gosh. So I love this. This is like one of my favorite parts in scripture, like, because he tells her not to touch him, which I just think (laughs) is so funny. Like you can just, I can see her just like seeing him Mm -hmm. and being so excited and just like bear hugging him and like clutching him. And he's saying, no, (laughs) um, not out of a lack of love for her, because I mean, the church fathers, it's the long tradition of the church that Jesus would have appeared to his mom first. Mm -hmm. Um, Because she's kind of owed that, you know. This is his mom. But after his mom, like, we have no reason not to believe that Mary Magdalene was the second. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, he just, he loved her. He loved that she was there. Mm -hmm. And she loved, he loved that intimacy that she wanted to show to him. Mm -hmm. But I think what he is trying to teach her in that moment is that intimacy is so very pleasing to him. But love does not keep for itself. It always Mm -hmm. goes outward. Yep. So love for God always leads to sharing him with others. So when he tells you, go share, you go share, like mm-hmm. share the good news. Yeah, I love that. I love how 
it's not that, you know, he doesn't love it. Like, oh my gosh, Mary, like, I, I do not want to see you. I don't want to be with you right now. I don't really want you to touch me. I don't need your hugs. Like, that's not what I'm here for. Dang it. Like, no, like he's so, he's so appreciating like the fact that she's like in a passionate, expressive woman and he isn't like, you know, tone it down because that's too much. Instead, he's like, but like you said, like, we're not just, I, that's not just, if you love me, like tell others about me. Don't just like cling to me, like spread that joy to others. And oh man, how much does that like apply to our own spiritual lives? Like even especially after Easter, you know, you get close to Jesus through Lent and then Easter comes and the Lord's here and how easy is, is it to, to think like, oh, that's it. Like I've done my, you know, spiritual put in my spiritual time and for the year and and now we just go back into ordinary time but like oh gosh like christ is giving us that same like go tell tell us about me especially especially after easter when we're filled with that joy and and we are called to share the good news of the fact that he's risen absolutely yeah share the good news and feast with as many people as you can bring in as you can (laughs) (laughs) amen So throughout this episode, we've looked at the holy women of Holy Week. We've examined their lives. We've seen how they've walked with Christ to Calvary and how they give us an example to to share the good news after the resurrections. But we really looked at three main key points during this episode. One, the church values the role that women play in the life of the church. Even though women aren't ordained priests, this doesn't mean that they don't have a unique role to play in the church today. Secondly, the women Christ meets along the road to the cross encourage all of us, whether we're men or women, on our journey to heaven. We're not called to just emotional expressions of conversion, but we're called to radically new, different life after we've encountered the Lord. And lastly, despite the fact that Mary Magdalene's testimony would not have held up in the legal system of her day, Christ chose her her to deliver the message of the resurrection back to the apostles. Today, we can look at Mary's story as an incredible witness of courage and an intimate relationship with the Lord. So thank you, listeners, for joining us during this Lenten series. We pray that you have a blessed Holy Triduum and a joy-filled Easter morning. And let's close out this episode in prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, it is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the Father, Son,